0: Hey, what's up? You're watching, listening, tuning in, I don't know, to Salty Saints Podcast, and we're here hanging out. I'm Zach. This is Randy. What's up, Randy? I'm, I'm doing well. Forgot to mention our other friend here. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, her name? Ron. Ron. This is Ron. Ron's a, what I can only assume is a lead-based painted <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's toy. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I don't know. Randy went and got a happy meal. It's a happy
1: meal. I'm happy.
0: Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That should be our next sponsor. Uh, I don't know if we can even say that. (laughs) They're definitely not, but uh, we're going to keep trying for it. Um, We are going to talk about something I don't know that we've talked about before. I don't think we have. Uh, We've mentioned him. Kind of hard not to. He's a good one. Uh, King David. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So part of what we do is we do faith stories, and we thought, why not do a faith story of somebody who's been dead for 2,500 years?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a good idea. Also, like, we've been kind of thinking about, like, you know, maybe it'd be cool to do some faith stories on church fathers, on, you know, I mean, like, C.S. Lewis or, like, Martin Luther King. Let us know
1: if you would like to hear about somebody. We don't know about any of these people, but... Uh, Where there is Wikipedia, there are (laughs) opinions. Not only
0: Wikipedia, but just countless books on so many of these people. And I need excuses to learn more. Um, Because honestly, I don't know enough about church fathers. There's so many of them. There are. And I'd like to know which ones I agree with and which ones I don't. Really,
1: they're fascinating. We might have to do Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I just think he is
0: absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Cool. Let's do it. Um, But for today, we're talking about David. We're talking about his faith, who he was. And, uh, you know, I I guess the reason I think he's an important one is because he's the man after God's own heart. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so, I mean, that should tell us something. That should mean like, hey, maybe we should look into... Well, you know, he's
1: one of the few people that uh, I think Abraham is called a friend of God. Uh, That's pretty cool, but... To be able to label somebody as this guy, he wanted to know God. And that's what he's known for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and God himself likened this man to his own nature in a way. To his own character. In How so? A way. Well, to say that somebody's after your own heart. Okay. That's to say, you get me. That's right. God, God actually is the one who said that, isn't He? Well, well, it says that God was looking for a man after His own heart, and so David is the response to that.
1: Okay, so where did we, where did we First see that?
0: Samuel, like fourteen, I think it was. We're at here, uh, thirteen, fourteen, thirteen, fourteen.
1: So, <laughs> uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is where Samuel's talking to Saul, and Saul has come, uh, he's in the second of three really big, he blew it three times. Uh, First time is in chapter, chapter 13. Actually, this is the first time, isn't it? So the first time in chapter 13. Uh, the Lord had told Saul to go take this city and to uh, kill the king.
0: But real quick, let's back up. For anybody that isn't familiar with this, who is Saul?
1: Ah, first king of Israel, the very first, the very first one. So uh, Israel asked for a king. Samuel was prophet. He got all bent out of shape, and he said, "How in the world can you ask for a king? God is your king." And God talks to Samuel and says, "Samuel, just go on, just just go with it." They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so Samuel goes with it. Saul comes on the scene. Samuel anoints Saul. Saul begins to lead. And for about two, three chapters, he actually does a good job. Mm-hmm. He uh, he leads Israel. They uh, fight the Philistines. They win. And they're attacking another city. And God says, just kill the king. And uh I think this is one of the cases where he says, kill everybody, uh, even the animals. And so Saul Mm. attacks the city, and he kills the men, but he keeps the pretty women. He keeps the animals, and he keeps the king alive. And one of the reasons why he did that was because that was a custom. Then later on, when you start feeling down, Uh, you have all the kings that you've conquered paraded in front of you in chain and kind of picks you up. That's the idea anyway. So Saul comes, Samuel comes up and says, Saul, you didn't obey the Lord. Saul says, yes, I did. And Samuel says, well, I hear sheep bleeding and cows mooing. (laughs) And Saul says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I I kept the animals alive. Samuel digs a little bit further. and Yeah, 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 I kept the women alive. Yeah, 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 I got the king over here. And that's when Saul says, your kingdom must end. This is 1 Samuel 13, 14. Your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people. Because you haven't kept the Lord's command. So that's David. Right. That Samuel's talking
0: about. Right. Now, before we get into David too much, uh, Saul doesn't really, he really just kind of like says sorry, tries to make amends, right. and right. then goes on like everything's fine.
1: Right. He, he says, I'm sorry, but he doesn't really mean it because he doesn't change.
0: Right. But it's it's almost like he he kind of forgets about this fact. That God has picked somebody else now. And so he just goes about his business like God hasn't picked somebody else. Right. right? So that's the odd part.
1: And when it becomes kind of obvious later that David is this young warrior that everybody loves and Saul looks at him and, and says, hmm, God's picked somebody else. David is really popular. I guess I'll
0: kill him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like that King Herod thing, right? Yeah, from like, yeah it really is. From uh, when Jesus is born. He starts killing everybody. Kills every baby yep. to make sure that he takes care of this one that's supposed to be the new king. Um, okay, so with that said, I think we can kind of start digging into David. Right. Who is David? Right, right, right. Where does he start? What are his origins? So,
1: really interesting biblical story. Uh Samuel knows that he's going to anoint somebody else. And the Lord sends him to the family of Jesse in Bethlehem. And he gets there and Jesse's got a lot of sons. He's got five or six and they're even named. And each one comes before Samuel. Father brings the oldest one first. And Samuel looks at him. I guess he kind of prays and he says, nope, not him. So the second one, and nope, not him, and on and on and on, and he runs out of sons. Finally, Samuel says, well, don't you have anybody else? And Jesse literally says, I've got the runt of the litter. I've got, you know, my youngest son, he doesn't even deserve to be here. He's out tending sheep. He's uh, watching the sheep that we have out in the back 40. And uh, Samuel says, Bring him. And he comes in, and he really is. He's the smallest one there. And that's when God speaks to him and says, Don't look on the outside, you look on the inside. Anoint this one. And he anoints David, and then Samuel gets up and leaves because the anointing is not actually when uh, he becomes king. That's coming. But he's anointed David. Jesse knows, David's brothers know, and David knows. And that's about it.
0: Hmm. So that's sort of like God laying his hand on him saying, like, you're it. You're the guy. You're my guy. Can you imagine the pressure that that put on David at that point? Well, especially when all of your... Older brothers probably just thought they were about to be anointed king. <laughs> That's right. Right? And now you walk in and you're like the nobody of the family and it's you? And yeah. it's you, yeah. Well, and they even, not to jump too far ahead, but when they when David shows up to the battlefield, which is where I assume we're going next, right, um, to yeah. go fight Goliath, his brother looks at him and he's like, why are you here? You're just here to watch people die. <laughs> like, exactly, You're just here yeah. to like get in on the mess, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's so there's... You're a rubbernecker, yeah. (laughs) Right. So there's definitely some, like, brotherly, like, discomfort going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And
1: it's interesting because we do see that later in David's own family. So Yeah. Because it it may be that he learned that from his own dad, that his dad may not have... Sins of the father. ...really managed that household well. Actually, the next time we see David, uh, Saul is beginning to have... uh, I don't know what you'd call them episodes. I guess he it
0: says he has an unclean spirit or something. It does.
1: Right? It does. Eventually, it comes around and says he had a he had a spirit who would visit him, and uh, it would make him depressed. Oh. And uh, when that took place, uh, music would calm him down. So he looks for a musician, and uh, some of Saul's servants said to him. Um, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and he has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man, (laughs) and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, Send me your son David the shepherd, and he comes. And uh, at that point, whenever Saul gets, like, depressed, or agitated. Some of it also is like fits of violence. Mm-hmm. David would play the harp. And we see that later in David's life because... He's he's one of the main psalmists. He is probably the main psalmist. Yeah. I, I don't know,
0: but... I think there's, what, like eight, eight possible authors in the psalms? Sounds reasonable. Yeah. I just looked this up the other day. That's but the David is I mean. huge,
1: yeah. yeah. He's like... The author of everything in the first book of Psalms, which is 41 Psalms, and then from 42 to 72 is book two, and he wrote most of them too. So, hmm.
0: you know, he's definitely wrote more than anybody else. Right. Right. He's a, He was a musician by nature. That was sort right. of just, right. That, right. No, and as you kind of come to find out, like that's sort of his outlet. That's his way of getting it off his chest. Sort of his prayer language, too, it seems like. It really is. That is really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, Uh,
1: David sang his prayers, and it impacted people so much that they collected what he wrote, what he sang, Mm -hmm. and they began to sing it, too, because it just spoke to him. I still find that Psalms speaks to me.
0: He's a very human
1: figure in the Bible. And he puts the things in ways that I wouldn't think to put them in. But when I hear him, I say, yeah.
0: <laughs> Honestly, though, if everybody, if if more people in, in Scripture had written down more prayers, like letting us into their lives a little more on like a firsthand account, I think people would resonate with other characters in the Bible as much as they do with David. Probably. He's just, there's more David than anybody. I mean, when you really look into Psalms, I mean, like, other than God, you get a deeper look into David's life than anyone.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: that's definitely true. Hmm.
1: So Saul goes off to war and he's fighting the Philistines. And at a particular point, um, the Philistines have literally a giant Hmm. by, if, if, What we read, if we understand accurately, what Scripture is saying, Goliath was somewhere between seven and a half and nine feet tall. Yeah, he was
0: big. Six cubits and a span.
1: Right, right. So traditionally, a cubit. Oh, sorry. Is. The distance from your elbow to the tip of your finger. In Spanish, a cubit is called a codo. The codo is your elbow. So it's an elbow's length. It's 18 inches. So six times 18 inches, that's nine feet.
0: Well, so so I, uh, it says the septuagint says four cubits in a span whereas the Masoretic text says six cubits in a span. So either six feet, nine inches, or nine feet, nine inches. Okay. So seven to ten feet tall, I mean, that's pretty big. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, the guy was big. The yeah. The guy was big. Especially if, uh, you know, looking back through history, seems like people may not have been as tall on average. Yeah, I think time. on average. But then again, I've seen I've seen conflicting information in there.
1: Um. <laughs> It's interesting. Usually people are not as tall because of their diet. Right. Do you know what Goliath means? What? What the name means. No. It means glutton.
0: I Okay. I, well, that's kind of <laughs> what it, it sounds like it would mean. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's weird. Yeah.
1: It means uh, this guy really chows down. He eats a lot. Hmm. And it it kind of makes sense, but then it also fits into the the why he would be thing. taller yeah not that eating a lot makes you grow right, this way right, i mean it makes right. you grow this way but right but at least he ate well enough that uh his height was not restricted by his diet right that makes sense And we do have historical cases of people that were extremely tall. I mean, you know, like eight, almost nine feet. Sure. Scottish giant, I forget his name, but he lived in the 1700s, and he was just a massive guy.
0: Have you ever seen, like, the – or heard the tales of, like – sorry to get us off track here, but uh, even in, like, Native American folklore, like, talking about, like – the red headed giants that lived in caves, no, you never heard about no, this, no, no, like no. in the Americas, okay. they found bones that they wonder, aren't them because I mean they're like ten feet tall and oh, my stuff. goodness. but uh they would like always find them up, boarded up where they believed they would uh build up rocks at the base of caves where these giants slept, and then they'd set fires and smoke them out and suffocate them in the caves
1: oh, because wow. these
0: these things they they said they were cannibals and they, they would kill okay. yeah they would kill the the native americans so that i don't know it's interesting well wow. wow. giants are in every culture they
1: are and uh we actually find later i think it is in chronicles uh there are five philistine giants at about the same time that are mentioned oh, okay yeah That's and they they're actually mentioned by name there's goliath there's Lamy. There's uh, another three. The other three might not be named, but Lami uh, uh, is, I think it says he's a cousin of Goliath. So there's some genetics going on here, um, but the guy's big. And the point is um, <clears throat> he was fighting for the Philistines, whether he was Philistine or was a hired mercenary to come in. So to kind of taunt the Israelite army, he would come out and, and daily he would say, why do we all have to come together and fight? Send out your best warrior and fight me. Was and that a natural custom?
0: All. Was that a normal thing?
1: It actually was. It is actually mentioned in um, the Iliad.
0: That, that, well, that's what I was going to say. Uh, that's that is the about beginning of the movie Troy. time period.
1: That's about the same
0: time. So do you think the Iliad was true, or do you think the Iliad is just like – I don't know.
1: Of, I think it has a historical basis. There you go. That's right. Yeah.
0: Because yeah. uh, have you seen Troy, the movie? Yeah, I have. That, that opening scene. And that he, opening
1: scene yeah. where he runs out and jumps up and – It's just, over in like 0.5 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's done and gone. Well, and <clears throat> that was kind of a David and Glass story too, but yeah, yeah. There, there were some other things going on that – Right. In vulnerable skin and all of that. Yeah. uh, Anyway, Goliath would come out and he'd taunt Israel, and nobody in Israel wanted to face him. So David's father, Jesse, sends David to the the battlefront with some cheese. And I think the reason is... uh, good nourishment, but you can't carry milk that far. Milk is going to curdle and, and uh, not, it'll be nasty, but cheese travels. So he had made some cheese. He said, go take this to my other son. So David goes, and then you hit it right on the head. David's brothers see him and say, what are you doing here? You're just, you're just here to, to watch people get killed.
0: Hmm. So I mean what what we know ends up happening though with David is he uh he gets mad when yeah. he hears what Goliath's saying because Goliath's taunting the army of Israel. Right. And so where nobody else will step up to go take care of Goliath, uh David kind of chomps at the bit and he's like okay what, what's this guy doing like why is he taunting god's army right now
1: and david rightly so he sees this as a direct affront against god
0: right right which a, is cool. a man after
1: god's own heart
0: yeah <laughs> right like his natural instinct isn't to be afraid his natural instinct is to be mad
1: yeah he's he's insulted yeah what what is this guy doing any of you guys can go out and kill. Him. I'll go out and kill him.
0: <laughs> I like that though. He's got he's got that like um, I don't know that energy. Yeah. Whereas Saul doesn't. I mean, it, I know we haven't talked about the story of Saul too much, but Saul is kind of passive. Like he's he he talks a big game, but then he's never got the like uh, the heart to back up what he says.
1: There is uh, one of the one of the verses if I can find it here kind of summarizes uh, the problem with Saul when Samuel is is chiding Saul after Jonathan I think Samuel says to Saul even though you were small in your own eyes and I'm not finding it here it's in chapter 14 or chapter 15 one of the two um <clears throat> but he says even though you were small in your own eyes uh the Lord had put you in charge of this of this nation um Saul had an inferiority complex right mm-hmm. Saul looked at himself and thought I can't do it <clears throat> David looks at Goliath and said God can do this <laughs>
0: and, and and I he can do it with me and uh, when he's questioned about it, he says, "I've killed bears and I've killed lions, and this man's going <laughs> to die like those bears and lions." Like, right, right. And
1: he says literally that I I took the lion and I ripped his ripped his jaw apart.
0: He's so. he's kind of a yeah he's kind of a braggart a little bit like he, <laughs> so you know he's a little maybe a little bit full of himself but like not to a fault it doesn't seem he knows what he's capable of doing. Or at least, you know, that fault hasn't appeared just yet. It, it maybe peaks its head out a little bit later. But.
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely comes out. But uh, so a couple of questions here. Why in the world would Saul let this shepherd go out and fight for all Israel when none of his own soldiers did? Mm. And I kind of think the reason why Saul did that is because He saw a way out. Mm -hmm. I can't send a soldier because that would be formally accepting the challenge. Okay, this kid isn't a soldier. So if David goes out and he's killed, all I have to do is say to Goliath, well, he's not a soldier. He just did that on his own. Right. So why not take the chance?
0: And it means I don't have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And and by he offers David his armor. He does, and, that and that's and sign, that's significant. That that's stepping back and saying, "Oh, here, here, you know, yeah. let me remove myself from this. You go out in my right, stead." Right, right.
1: Now, uh, what Scripture says is that Saul was a very tall man. It says he was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel. Uh, so he has he's a big man, and he's got a set of big armor and he gives it to David. David tries it on, and he walks around in it, and then he looks at Saul, and he says, I'm not used to it. He doesn't say it's too big for me. He says, I'm not used to it. I don't don't wear this kind of stuff normally. It'll slow me down, and David had in mind already what he was going to do. He had his sling, and stopped in the creek before he got to the battlefield and picked up five stones that he felt would fly true. Scripture says they were smooth, which probably means they weren't jagged, so they wouldn't veer off. Mm -hmm. He wanted to make sure that he hit him with deadly accuracy. Mm -hmm. Um, David apparently was a big dude, too. but
0: then that's, Maybe not quite as
1: big as Saul. I was but, just going
0: to say that's odd, though, because it says that he's the run of the litter. And so I'm kind of. But that
1: was years before. So this is years later, then? This is probably three, four years later. Okay,
0: so he's had time to fill he's out had a his bit. growth spurts. Yeah,
1: he's <clears> filled out. And in fact, they call him a, a warrior. Okay. They call him a fine
0: looking young man. <laughs> yeah, it comes back to that a lot. It does, it does. They really want to drive home the fact that David is, like, the supermodel of Israel. Right, right, right. Uh, But doesn't it say that about Saul, too? Oh, yeah. And so, like, are they trying to kind of hint, like, are they, (laughs) I feel like, I feel like there are similarities drawn between David and Saul. There
1: definitely are. Because
0: they're trying to make you see, and this is maybe Hebrew literature, maybe this is just, I don't know, historical narrative speaking as Hebrew literature, but, like sort of drawing these parallel ideas that make you go, oh, David's really supposed to be the king. Another thing I'm seeing there is when Saul steps back. Saul is the king of Israel at this point in time, right? right? But he steps back, takes off his armor, which belongs to a king, and tries to give it to David. And so Saul's hiding behind this armor, but then he's going, oh no, you go wear it. And David, the rightful king, right, turns around and says, oh no, this isn't going to work. Like, I'll, I'll just go do it my way. And
1: he literally says, God will do it. I need your armor. God will do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting.
1: So the rest of the story,
0: <clears throat>
1: really interesting because uh, in Spanish, the word for sling is onda, honda. H O N D A. Honda. <laughs> and of course, Hondas are all over the world.
0: Right, right.
1: So you got all these cartoons of David. You know, uh, riding a motorcycle, a Honda motorcycle, running over Goliath. Oh, wow. Or in a car, running over Goliath. He he killed Goliath with his Honda. (laughs) Oh, man. But he took a sling and uh, five smooth stones and uh, hit Goliath square in the head, knocked him loopy. Goliath falls down. David walks up, takes Goliath's sword, Which, again, it's a big sword, but David can hold it. He can swing it. He cuts his head off. And then the Philistine army jumps up and they run away. Right. Now, nobody really took seriously the, uh, you know, if if we lose, if our champion loses, then we'll serve you. Nobody really took it seriously because the Philistines did not serve Israel within a chapter they're fighting again but it goes to show um, our champion, your champion they're going to reflect the capabilities of our army Mm -hmm. and so Philistia thinks gosh these guys are pretty good maybe we shouldn't be here and everybody takes off running Um, David goes back And when he goes back to Jerusalem, or to his hometown, they sing the song, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. That is actually Hebrew poetry. Uh, One of the things that you do in Hebrew poetry, there's parallelism, and when you have numbers, you, in the second line, you add one, the number. Well, when you get that big, what you're adding is a zero. So Saul killed his thousands and David killed his ten thousands. Well, Saul was upset by that. So what's the alternative? David has killed his thousands and Saul his ten thousands. If they had sung that, I honestly think Saul would have said, so they talk about David first before the king. What's up with that? It didn't matter what they sang, right, right, right. Saul was going to be offended by it because he wanted to be his he father. saw himself as small in his own eyes, he had an inferiority complex, so right. anything that they would say he was going to take negatively,
0: yeah, um, and so is this where Saul responds by no, 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 uh has well, Saul already taken David in as the, the he's already been playing not music. Yeah, he him. has
1: already been playing music for him, but this is now different because David says to Saul he's he's a smart cookie When I kill him, what do I get? And Saul says, My daughter. Now, that's more than I got a good looker. You're going to be able to to marry her. It is, you'll be part of the royal family. Right. There's a chance for you to be the king.
0: You're gaining rank now. You're
1: gaining rank. So now Saul's mad at David because he got first billing in the song. So when David says, okay, what, what do I, what's the dowry for Michal, your daughter? And Saul says, the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. you got to go out and kill a hundred Philistines. Because is- Saul literally thought they would kill David right. instead. It's right,
0: it's impossible. It's kind of like what they ask Samson to do. Yeah. Where they, they ask yeah. him to go, what's a, he has to go fetch, uh, what does he have to go get?
1: I'm not sure, you might be thinking about
0: Hercules. No, go... Talk, hold on, I'm going to get to the bottom of this.
1: So David goes out and he kills 200 Philistines and comes back with the foreskins of 200 Philistines. The idea of the foreskin is nobody's going to give that up unless they're dead. And it's a sign of Judaism. So it's kind of humiliating uh, the Philistines that he's killed. So David goes out and does that. So Saul has to give David his daughter. And David is now part of Saul's household. And that's when uh, we get from time to time, Saul actually tries to kill David. Throws a spear at him. and David is apparently still playing harp for Saul to try to calm him down when he gets in his fits of rage. But it doesn't always work. He gets pretty angry at points. What would you find?
0: I'm still looking. I'm sorry.
1: That's okay. (laughs) Um, But it is similar. There are similarities between David and and, uh, Samson. But Samson did what he did, for all the wrong reasons, David did what he did for the right reasons.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, well, most of the time. <laughs> till <laughs> later in his life. Yeah. Right. At this stage. That, that's true. Yeah. Uh, do you think, though, there's an arrogance about him, or do you think he's just sure of himself? Because that's the other question.
1: Yeah. You know, I think at this point he is very sure of himself. He's very confident in God. And I think that, Flows into arrogance and pride later on
0: in his life. Yeah, um, I, I think he's really, I think he's genuine. Is my thing I've always got out of yeah. out about David. Like he's not putting on. No, he's he's very no. like so even even if he is a little arrogant, like I don't know that it's like with ill intent. You know, like right. he he. He's, yeah, it's kind of like you said, he's very he's very positive of what he can do. He's very positive of what God is capable of. Um, but he's really a a genuine person. Like the way he talks to, uh, or the friendship that bonds between him and Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan Wright. Um, that, w- I mean, that's, it's really like solid friendship. David has this ability, because I think he's
1: genuine, of creating loyalty in people around him. uh, Michal, uh he, he does that early on with Saul's daughter, Michal. When she's aware that Saul's going to kill him, she takes a statue, puts a statue in bed, and takes, I think, goat's hair or something, and puts it on the statue so it looks like David. And when Saul comes in and finds out that Michal has deceived him, David's long gone by then. He says, what'd you do? And she basically says, well, he's my husband. You know, what am I supposed to do? He's my husband. And Saul says, oh, okay. But Saul always complains about how people are following David and not him. Yeah. And that's because David
0: created loyalty in people. Well, and, and God was with David. God Very had sh- much so. and that's and that's the other thing. Saul is well aware, or has been informed, that God is no longer with him.
1: Yeah. Samuel flat out told him that. It
0: tells him that
1: you're losing this
0: kingdom. And yet he continues to do. Yeah. What he's doing, like, right. would, the, would it not have been smarter for him to, at that point, say? Well, I give it all up then. You know what I mean? like.
1: And that's one of the amazing things about David's friendship with Jonathan because at one point Jonathan looks at David and says, you're going to be the next king, not me. Yeah. And this is the prince of Israel and so, and so saying Jonathan that.
0: Jonathan is acknowledging God being with David. Exactly. He sees it.
1: And to Jonathan's credit, it's not a negative thing when Jonathan says it. It's it's set out of love and And he says, basically, dude, I got your back. And he actually informs David when Saul is angry at him and is going to.
0: And then they form a covenant between one another as well. They do. They do. And
1: after that covenant, they never see each other again. The next time David sees Jonathan is to pick up Jonathan's dead body. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer. Um, David has to flee. And already, when he flees, David has his own bodyguard. Now, nobody else had it. He just had incredibly loyal friends. Hmm. These friends come to be known as the thirty, and there were three of them that were particularly good warriors, and the other twenty seven weren't bad either they and uh, one of the chapters late in Second uh, Samuel goes into the exploits and here's before we got started i was saying you know hollywood is not capitalized on the story of saul and david you could take that one chapter where it goes in the exploits um philistine's attack one of the 30 stands in the middle of a bean field and he says i'm not moving and
0: just there are there dead Philistines
1: him? all over he's just standing there and mowing them down um, you get another one who's attacked by an Egyptian who is almost as tall as Goliath and he snatches the spear out of his hand and turns it and he kills the Egyptian with it and on and on and on you get things that you know, a little bit of a plot line there and and some CGI, and you could have an awesome
0: movie. <laughs> well, it's almost like uh, you've got me thinking about 300 rather than the 30. It's the 300. That's where, right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Which would have been Leonidas's personal 300 guards. That's right. And so now you've got David in his 30. I and, like of
1: course, that. the last, the 30th member of the 30 that's mentioned is Uriah the Hittite.
0: I did not know that. Yep. Okay, so I knew he was one of his close friends. I didn't know he was one of the 30. He was one of the 30. Yeah, he's the 30th one named. So it's not just some guy. No. This is like a
1: close, close friend. This is a guy who has sworn loyalty, and he has had David's back for
0: years. Even before he was king?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh. So let's finish out that story of David. Um Saul is trying to kill David at the same time that he's trying to fight the Philistines. And there's this back and forth between Saul and David where David has, on at least two occasions, the opportunity to just kill Saul. One time Saul goes into a cave to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Pardon my French, he takes a dump right next to David. David's standing there with the knife, with the sword, with anything he wants. And he does nothing. When Saul comes out of the cave, David did reach up at that point, and he cut off part of Saul's robe that Saul had taken off and laid on a rock. Saul puts on his robe, goes out of the cave. David walks out, and he says, Saul, and he holds up the fringe of his robe. What's this? That's my rope. I could have killed you. And Saul gets all emotional. Oh, I'm, I'm a worm. I'm scum. I, I shouldn't be pursuing you. You're right and I'm wrong. And he goes and he fights the Philistines instead. Next chapter, he's back trying to kill David.
0: Yeah. It, it's, he, he's a roller coaster of emotions, too. I mean, he that's is. the thing. David has his ups and downs. But Saul, like when you read in the Bible, it talks about like uh, a man being blown about by the winds. That's Saul. Boy, that is. Saul I mean, that's totally Saul. He's got no foundation upon which to stand. He just doesn't know up from down. He lo- it's like he loves David, but he wants him dead all at the same time. Yep.
1: So at the end of 1 Samuel, Saul is killed in battle. Uh, he's wounded, I think, by arrows realizes that he's bleeding out, asks his asks his uh, armor bearer to kill him so that he doesn't die by Philistines. The armor bearer says, no, I, I can't kill God's anointed. So Saul props his sword up, falls on his sword, commits suicide. The armor bearer <clears throat> sees that. He does the same thing. Saul's sons, including Jonathan, are all killed. The only ones left are the ones that were too young to go to war. They're back in Jerusalem. Or not Jerusalem at this point, but wherever Saul had his palace. So Judah, at that point, Israel is now without a king. And there's nobody to take over the kingship. His sons have all died too. So what do they do? Judah, David's tribe... Takes David and says, You're the king, anoints him king. The other ten tribes don't. They follow, uh, what is his name? Ishbosheth. Okay, so let's talk about Ishbosheth just a little bit. Ish is the Hebrew word for man, Bosheth is the Hebrew word for shame. Who would call his son the man of shame? Nobody. That wasn't his name. That's the name the biblical authors give to this son. Mm. His name was Ishbaal, the man of Baal, the man of the pagan god. Saul named his son after the pagan god Baal. Mm. And the biblical authors... Take that name, and instead of saying Ishbaal, which was would have been his name, uh, it, it is used one time, I think, in Scripture, uh, and after that it's Ishbosheth. They call him the Man of Shame.
0: So it's it's I mean so he's slumped into idolatry at this point.
1: Yep. Now David and Ishbosheth, uh, Judah, and the other ten tribes of Israel fight for. Five to six years. They go back and forth um,
0: fighting each other. And David is the king of Judah at this point?
1: J- David at this point is the king of Judah. Ishbosheth is the king of Israel. Israel, the other so is ten dead? tribes. Saul is dead. Okay, His older sons, who have been preparing for kingship, they're all dead. Ishbosheth really isn't a leader. Abner who was uh the general of Saul's army uh is fighting for uh Ishbosheth I mean he came up under Saul so he's a loyal man he stays with Saul uh it is um oh Joab is the general of David's army and Joab is I think he's one of the 30 but Uh, He he was good at organizing guys, so Joab and Abner uh, are leading these two factions. And they're pretty much staying equal in the fight until Abner sleeps with one of King Saul's concubines. When he does it, Ishbosheth calls him out.
0: So that would be one of his, or, well, it'd be one of his father's wives, right? It'd be one of his father's concubines, okay. at least, yeah. It'd be
1: a whole lot worse if it was one of his wives, okay. but one of his concubines, one of the harem of his father. Okay. Ishbosheth calls him out, and Abner says, I'm done with you. And he goes over to David's side. And he begins to fight with David's army. Well, a lot of the army of Israel goes with Abner. Okay. So that's where Scripture says, and and David could more than Ishbosheth. <laughs> uh, by chapter five, Ishbosheth is killed, and David becomes the king of uh, all of Israel.
0: So hear me out. Yeah. I think this is as far as we go with David today. Okay. Because this is. Are we getting pretty long? Well, I think there's two sides to this story. And this is the first side. Yeah. The second side of the story, it ain't pretty. (laughs) And so. The
1: good side runs maybe three chapters more. Let's do those three chapters. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do do those three chapters. So first thing that David does is Ishbosheth had been killed he'd been assassinated. A man came up claiming that he's the one who assassinated Ishbosheth. He did he wasn't. But he came up claiming that he had assassinated Ishbosheth. So what does David do? He kills him. He says you touched the king of Israel. You can't do that. And he kills him. He wins over Israel by doing that. They and say, it, hey, he's not
0: that bad. Well, when you think about it, he did something Saul would have probably never done. That's right. Right? Saul was too soft to, to do what was tough when it came down to Saul it. Saul
1: would have paid the guy money for having killed David if he had done that. In fact, I think there's a passage where Saul... Says that I'll, I'll give money to the man that kills David. Okay. Um, he wins over Israel, so uh, he is now formally king of Judah and Israel. At this point, he's called the king of Israel, and Israel is everything. But you get several passages where it says Judah and Israel, that dividing line was there and it's actually in David's grandson that the kingdom is split Mm. and the northern kingdom becomes the kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom becomes the kingdom of Judah and David then rules only over Judah
0: not over both um so so wait so David so is David not formally the king of Israel? Then
1: he is at this point, yes.
0: Okay, but at some point that splits off, and he is only the king of Judah. That's it. not this David. David's grandson. David's grandson. Right. Okay. This part of scripture gets so confusing to me because the fact that it's a it's a divided kingdom, but like it's still all kind of Israel. Right. Right. But it's like right. Israel in civil war, basically. Right. And.
1: There were times when Judah and Israel had a good relationship or right. actually went out together and fought. And there were times when they fought each other as well.
0: Well, it's it's funny, and sorry this has nothing to do with David, but after David, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't it seem like the vast majority of good kings are from Judah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, that, like, and there's
1: not many of them, but right. I, I don't think there was a single one from the northern kingdom right. that was called good. They were all... Committed the sins of their father, Jeroboam. (laughs) Right.
0: Huh. That's interesting.
1: Um, The next thing that David does is he captures the city of Jerusalem. And it's interesting. He makes his capital there. But Jerusalem is never known as the capital of Israel. Instead, it's known as the city of David. It's David's personal possession. Then he begins to lay the foundations for building the temple in Jerusalem by bringing the ark back to the temple. And when the ark comes into town, David starts dancing and his clothes get in the way. So he strips off his outer robes and dances in his underwear. And that's when Michal, his wife, Saul's daughter, sees him ridicules him for doing it. And David basically says, I'm done with you. Yeah. And
0: in all fairness though, <laughs> I mean, c- come on, David, you know, like, dancing naked in the street, man. I'm yeah. not, I'm not knocking it, but like, this is a little bit of that, like uh, maybe self-centeredness coming back through. Like he's a little bit of a braggart.
1: Or do you think it's just joy? I don't think it's that. I think it is pure, unadulterated joy. Now, whether or not he should have stripped off his outer clothes, I'm not so sure. that's the part where I'm like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, And for anybody, sorry, for anybody that's listening to this that's not, like, uh, super familiar with Scripture, the Ark of the Covenant is what we're referring to. Right. And that is what housed the Ten Commandments, or it housed the law, It
1: housed, uh, yeah, the two tablets— And by this time, it houses five gold mice and five gold tumors that the Philistines put in it. Yeah. And this is where David is bringing it back from. For all these years, it's been in one man's house, and that man is incredibly blessed by God because he literally moves out of his house, so the ark can be inside his house. Yeah. And God blesses him. So now David brings it back to Jerusalem Where apparently they erect the tabernacle and it's in the tabernacle until the temple can be built. And David starts to build the temple and God says, no, no, Uh, your hands are bloody. You're not going to be able to do it. Your son will do it. And David says, okay.
0: And, That's why. and so, sorry, we got more to explain because I, I we're trying to be a little more conscious of people that are listening that, that sure. don't know so much right. um, about just the, the story of Scripture as a whole. Uh, the ark is where God's spirit dwelt. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Hollywood's treatment took, of it, but you know. some liberties. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But so God dwells between the cherubim, Above, above the mercy seat the mercy of the seat. Right. of the Ark of the Covenant, which right. is a box, basically, it, right? Yeah, yeah. With two angels mm-hmm. on top of it, you're right. Uh, which is what we mean when we say cherubim. cherubim. Um, but the reason why that's related to the temple is David wants to build a house for God to live in, right? Rather than this box that He dwells in, right? Above. This right. is going to be right. a place that is solely God's, right?
1: right 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 so Michal she's had it with David David's had it with her uh chapter 7 of 2nd Samuel you get God's promise to David that he will reign forever chapter 8 David expands the kingdom far beyond anything that Israel ever was had been before or ever would be after it went all the way from uh, basically Assyria in the north to the borders of Egypt in the south. He controlled that entire region. And there were times when Israel was just tiny. It was just around uh, the Dead Sea, and that was it. So this was huge. Uh, And then in chapter 9, David reaches out, to uh, saul's family he continues to win over israel by showing mercy to saul's family finds another son of saul named mephibosheth so you can guess what his name actually was or more, more Baal. <laughs> mary baal was actually his name and the biblical authors translate that to mephibosheth who had been dropped when he was a baby and he was lame now and and David took him to his own table and let him eat as if he was one of his children or grandchildren. I think specifically he may have been Jonathan's son. Okay. So David saw this as a way to uh, honor Jonathan as well.
0: And so he's taking in his uh, his son Jonathan's yes, son. Okay. Is.
1: And practically accepting him as his own.
0: Okay. Interesting,
1: And that's where all the good stuff ends. That's <laughs> it. After this point, things take a, a turn to the south.
0: <laughs> so the thing, uh, this far in the story, I think there's some conclusions we can draw about David.
1: I think there because are.
0: Because this is all about his faith story, right? Right, right. David, I, I think what the story is doing for us, and uh, I mean, more than just the story, but like, the life of David and the life of Saul, is showing two paths you can go before God. Yeah. There's the wayward path, right? That's the, that's the way There's away the from God. There's the Saul path. There's the Saul right. path where you're not living in God's good graces. You are not following God's law.
1: You're self-centered. You're self-centered. Saul has an inferiority complex, so everything is about him.
0: How's it going to affect me? Right. And then you've got David, and David's all about God.
1: It's about how's this going to affect God. Right. There's Goliath out. Saul doesn't go and attack him because Saul looks at him and says, "He'll he'll beat me to a pulp." Right. <laughs> David looks at Goliath and says, "God can take him. He's he's not as big as the bears that God has given me to kill." So. Right.
0: Right. And he'll use me to do it if that's yeah. if that if I'm the one that's going to stand up and say it. You know. Um. But I I think also what you see reflected in this is I think you see that original two paths before... I mean, I know we talk about this all the time, but it's like we're standing at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil again, and we're standing at the tree of life, and we see two scenarios played out before us side by side. We see Saul, who's clearly eating day after day from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right. And we see David, who is constantly pursuing the fruit of the tree of life. Right. And so it's kind of cool that you see kind of these two, like this one story shows us both of those paths played out at the yeah. exact same yeah. time. And yep. you get to see what re- or what benefits or what rewards are reaped right. from each of those paths.
1: One of the other things that I think we pick up from David's life is he didn't hide his emotions. I mean, nobody had to guess about what David was feeling. He brings the ark back to uh, Jerusalem, and he rips off his clothes and starts dancing for joy. Right. Um, Saul and Jonathan, his enemy, Saul, is killed in battle. And David just breaks down crying. Ah, Saul's gone. Jonathan's gone. The anointed of Israel are gone.
0: I think there's another picture there. I mean, if... If David is a man after God's own heart, this moment where you see David crying over his enemy Saul's death shows God's love for his enemies. Yeah. You kind of see that played out real time. And David kind of embodies that love. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not – once again, I'm not sure how much of this is intentionally, like, written into the story so we see what what the author wants us to – Um, And how much of it is is 100% like literal to what happened. But uh, either or, David was the kind of person God wanted people to be like, right? And Saul was not. And I think when we read this story, we have to reflect and say, well, which one am I going to be?
1: Yeah, yeah. See, that's challenging to me because by nature, I'm not a very emotional person. I'm not either. And... I look at David and frequently I say, I wish I could be like that. Mm. I I wish I could express my emotions like David had. And it's a challenge to me to go ahead and not try to hide my emotions from other people, but let them see how I'm feeling, especially when it gives praise to God.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I wonder if him stripping down naked, well, to his underwear to dance, right. Right. isn't also kind of a, a peek into like the way he is so vulnerable with his emotions as well. He's not afraid to so. just kind of bear it all before everybody. Like he's yep. he's willing to put himself out there. Yeah, um, he's an interesting guy. Because he is, uh, like uh, something we were talking about earlier, I don't think we mentioned it on the podcast, but like in Egypt you said they would depict uh, men as the color red.
1: Right, right, right. Ribbon were yellow and and men were red. And three or four places in the Old Testament it talks about David being ruddy. Which is red. Which is red.
0: Yeah, and so he's manly. He's, he's masculine, he's a
1: manly man.
0: <laughs> but the biblical definition here of, of a manly, masculine man is also a very emotional. Oh, very open, like very like not afraid to cry. Not when he realizes
1: to... that he has to leave Jonathan, they both they they hug each other. They're crying their eyes out because they're going to have to. Jonathan's going to have to stay with his father Saul, and David's going to have to. Go any place where Saul isn't
0: right, and this is his best friend. He's yeah. losing his best friend. Yeah,
1: it's crazy. Um, you know, it happens to me, and I, I kind
0: of go in a corner and go, f, f, f. okay, right. <laughs> well, <laughs> well come there, out. there are certain portions. I mean, our society pushes that concept. Right. Uh, certain right. portions of denominations of Christianity are very like anti-emotion. Very right. an, like right. push your right. feelings right. down. They get right. in the way. They're from the devil. Obviously not. The four spiritual laws. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> right. But it's just kind of like lean into being human. It's yeah. okay. It is okay. It's okay to be yourself, whatever that looks like. But be of God. Don't go your own way. That's don't right. Don't live for yourself. That's right. Live for God. Yeah. And if you don't, you're gonna end up like David here in just a short while so we're gonna get around (laughs) next week
1: we'll come back and we'll talk about what
0: happens next so thank you guys for listening to another episode of salty saints if you got questions you can send them to questions at salty saint or sorry questions at com or salty saints at com. and uh until next time stay salty have you ever
1: felt conflict between your faith and feelings if so you're not alone